listening to the Plugged In Podcast, presented by the Institute for Energy Research. To find out more about our work, visit our website at instituteforenergyresearch.org. Welcome back to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Stevens. I'm a policy analyst here at the Institute for Energy Research. Before we get to today's guest, I just want to remind our listeners to please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, wherever you're listening to us. It helps other people find our work. And now to today's guest. Uh, Joining me today to discuss line five is Jason Hayes. Jason is the Director of Environmental Policy at the Mackinac Center for Public Policy in Midland, Michigan. Jason has spent almost three decades studying and working in environmental and energy policy. Prior to joining the Mackinac Center, he worked as a backcountry ranger in British Columbia's provincial parks, as a forester in British Columbia's boreal forests, and researched national parks management and grizzly bear biology with the Fraser Institute in Calgary, Alberta. He spent over a decade researching and communicating energy and environmental policy with the Canadian American energy industry. And in July 2016, Jason moved to the Mackinac Center to head up its environmental policy initiative. Jason, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so pipelines have obviously been in the news quite a bit lately with the colonial shutdown. And now um, the saga over line five seems to be coming to a head. Uh, I think the obvious place to start is just to go over the basics with, uh, you know, what is Line 5, where is it located, uh, who owns it, and sort of like what what does it carry? Just give our listeners sort of the basic facts, I guess, about uh, Line 5 there in Michigan. Sure. Like uh, Line 5 101 here. Line 5 is a the, – the portion that people are interested in uh, is really a four-and-a-half-mile section – of pipeline, it's two paired. It's a paired pipeline, 20 inch uh, in diameter, and really the entire pipeline runs from Superior, Wisconsin, down to Sarnia, Ontario. It goes through Michigan's Upper Peninsula, and then where the Upper and Lower Peninsula come together, um, that the pipeline crosses through that area on the bed of the Great Lakes. And that's that four and a half mile section that I was talking about. And that area is um, really the the point of contention is right there. But what that pipeline does is it transports a mix of natural gas liquids or um, light crude oil. And so the light crude goes to a mix of refineries in the Detroit area, Toledo, Ohio. Uh, there's also a few in Ontario, in uh, province of Ontario in Canada, and also province of Quebec. And so that's the crude oil section. And then a lot of the natural gas liquids are, they go out to um, refineries that are located in Sarnia, Ontario, primarily. And, and a lot of what they produce is propane. Propane is then shipped back into Michigan and somewhere in the neighborhood of 330,000 households in the state of Michigan use that propane to heat their homes, to cook their foods, to do all of the the things that that people do with propane. Um, But there's a, a pretty broad mix of use throughout the entire region, whether it's in those Canadian provinces or in Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Indiana, uh, there's there's a lot of uses. So the crude oil gets um, 
refined into transportation fuels. So gasoline for people's vehicles and also several of the major airports in the region, Detroit uh, Metro, uh, the airports in Toledo, um, Pearson Airport in Toronto, they all use jet fuel that's refined from that, uh, those crude oil or those products, petroleum products. So the, the pipeline has been where it is since 1953. So we're looking at pretty close to 70 years. It's been operating uh, safely without a spill in that area. And really that's possible because the pipeline was over-designed where most pipeline has, um, I believe like a three eighths inch wall. This pipeline has over three quarter inch wall. So it's quite a bit thicker. It sits on the bed of the lake and extremely cold oxygen poor water. So it's not really subject to a lot of the same sort of um, erosion forces that some other pipeline areas will receive. But um, that gives you kind of, like I said, uh, uh, a line five 101. That's, that's what's going on with the pipeline. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the history of the, uh, I guess the battle over this one section in the um is that technically the strait of mackinac where it runs right there yes. or um so Correct. yes i guess it's great that we have somebody from the mackinac center then to discuss this <laughs> uh that one section if i'm thinking back now i've heard the battle over this going back to probably the times that i was in college like the fight over this has been going on for quite a while if i understand right. um you just talk a little bit about the history uh you know, who has been pushing for the shutdown? What are their reasons? And um, just how has this all sort of escalated over time? Yeah, the, the very early history is important because the pipeline was put in place where it was uh, by a company, Bechtel, actually put the line in place. And they did this because the state of Michigan actually came to them and requested that they build the pipeline and locate it there because they wanted to reduce the risks associated with shipping crude oil and natural gas liquids by uh, barge or by boats on the Great Lakes. They were worried that they were gonna have, you know, an accident, a ship was gonna sink and they were gonna have a major spill. So back then the state realized that a pipeline was a much safer option. I mean, agreed to by people like Jennifer Granholm who said it's, pipelines are the best option. They agreed back then. And so they built this pipeline, put it in place. And uh, like I said, it's been operating for 70 plus or almost 70 years. And so some of the contention that's rising now, the, the current governor, Gretchen Whitmer, as well as the attorney general, Dana Nessel, have, they actually campaigned on the, the idea that they wanted to close the pipeline immediately when they got into power. And so they're carrying out essentially that campaign promise and saying they want to shut the pipeline down. And I mean, to be fair to them, there's, there's kind of a broad agreement that there might be better ways to move the, the energy. Now the pipeline has passed numerous safety um, tests They've done what, you know, just in 2017, they did what's called a hydrostatic pressure test. It passed with flying colors. It actually passed as that hydrostatic test was the same test that it passed 
before they put it in the water in 1953. So it still is meeting those same original standards. It's still strong enough to meet that, that pressure test. But despite that, everybody looked at it and said, it would be better if the pipeline was not in the waters of the Great Lakes because nobody wants an oil spill in the Great Lakes. And so that's really the, the driving uh, force behind the, the, the issue that we're dealing with is nobody wants to spill in the Great Lakes. So their current governor and attorney general have really stepped up the, the timeline for closing the pipeline down. So, I mean, when, when they were running against, um, you know, running for, Gretchen Whitmer was running to be the, the governor uh, against Bill Schuette, who was the, the Republican nominee for governor, they both agreed that the pipeline should be removed. So it wasn't really um, up for a lot of discussion. It was just how fast does that need to happen? And so as we came to the end of the previous governor's tenure, uh, Snyder, uh, they actually, the legislature and the Snyder administration passed a law that allowed Enbridge to drill a tunnel 100 feet below the bed of the Great Lakes, then encase that tunnel on the inside with cement and then relocate the, the pipeline into the tunnel. So you get the, really in that situation, you get the best of both worlds because you maintain the energy infrastructure and then you also um, take the pipeline out of the waters of the Great Lakes. And so again, the real contention is over how fast does the existing pipeline need to be removed? Well, Governor Whitmer and Attorney General Nessel say it needs to be done yesterday, or well, May 12th is the day that she was talking about. Um, so that's, that's the, 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 the nature of the conflict that we're facing right now. My understanding is, so the Enbridge, the company that owns the pipeline, as you said, they are trying to take steps to build a new pipeline underneath the bed of uh, right where Lake Huron and Lake Michigan meet there. And, right. yes. um, but that process has been delayed with permit permitting issues and uh, the administration there, Governor Whitmer's administration really isn't making that process very easy for them as well, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah exactly. So what what is happening is Governor Whitmer and Attorney General Nessel are saying this pipeline needs to be closed down today or yesterday, or actually they set an arbitrary date. They just pulled the date. They said six months from the day that we revoke the easement, which is the legal agreement that allows Enbridge to operate the pipeline. It's a, a contract that the state of Michigan signed with Enbridge. Um, she said in November last year, you have six months to stop moving uh, natural gas liquids and crude oil through this pipeline. So that was May 12th was the day that uh, she said that the, the pipeline needs to be shut down. So Enbridge said, okay, well, you don't actually have jurisdiction to do this. Uh, that's a federal issue. And so we're gonna keep using the, the pipeline until uh, we're told by a court that we need to stop using it. And so, um, we're we're in this this battle over who has jurisdiction to decide and who doesn't, and um, again we're just, we're dealing with that issue of uh, how quickly does it need to be done, 
when you're dealing with that, Enbridge is saying basically, look, we don't own the fuels that are being transported by the pipeline. So if we shut this down, the companies that are shipping those fuels are gonna go elsewhere, okay? Then there's a reasonable question to ask, should Enbridge still spend $500 million to build a new tunnel when all their customers have gone and found other means to ship their oil and their natural gas liquids? So Enbridge is saying, look, to be able to afford to build, to spend $500 million, and again, Enbridge is spending that money. This is not money that's coming from the taxpayer. Enbridge is footing the bill for this, this uh, tunnel. And they're saying basically, look, to be able to afford to do that, we need to keep operating the existing pipeline until the current pipe or the, the new tunnel is built. So that's, I mean, more background, all of that's going on. And at the same time as this is all happening, Attorney General Nessel has been giving attorney general um, position papers on whether or not the law that was passed in 2018 was um, constitutional. And so they were litigating to get the tunnel process stopped at the same time as they're trying to shut down the pipeline. And it's just like this multi-layered confusing issue, who's got jurisdiction and are they doing the right thing? And all of this is going on at the same time. And so Enbridge is, is basically making the argument, look, you don't have jurisdiction to shut this down. It's a federal issue. To be able to afford to build the tunnel, we need to keep running the current pipeline. And then on the other side, Governor Whitmer and Attorney General Nessel are saying, no, this is a state issue. We've revoked the easement. You need to shut down now. And if you want to keep applying for permits to be able to build the tunnel, that's fine but that's a separate issue from operating the existing tunnel. So there's this like just really nasty dynamic going on. Yeah, there seems to be a environmental concern, at least I, I would have with them shutting it down uh, preemptively because of what you said there that uh, the, the customers would go find other ways to move whatever it is, right. the, the fuel. And, you know, that would likely be rail, I would imagine. It, I'm, I'm not super familiar with the infrastructure there in, in, in Michigan, but I, I would guess it would be by rail, you know, at the, the border crossing points there in Sarnia and probably down in Detroit would be the most obvious sort of. Uh, right. Yeah, um, there's going to be a mix of, of infrastructure used. So a lot of the, the oil and natural gas liquids that are coming through the pipeline are coming south from the oil sands in Alberta. So they are shipped down <clears throat> south to these refineries in Detroit, Toledo, uh, Sarnia, Ontario, and Quebec. And so there's that first leg of the journey really where they come south, they're refined. And then once they're refined into propane and transportation fuels, then they kind of get spread out around. And so the first leg of the journey it would probably be mostly pipelines where they come down and essentially they would just go around Michigan. And so if that happened, um, there's a, a, a whole lot of um, discussion about uh, the economic impacts, the job implications, that sort of thing. Um, and we can get to that in a second, yeah. but the next part of the, the journey when once those fuels are refined, then they go back out a lot of that is going to be by truck and rail. 
And so that's, you know, the propane going back into uh, areas in the northern portion of Michigan's lower peninsula and Michigan's upper peninsula, and then other areas in Ohio, Indiana, Pennsylvania, you know, those sorts of things. Those fuels are going to be shipped by truck and rail. Yeah, which we know is not uh, statistically as safe as moving things by pipeline. So even on mm-hmm. the grounds, of, on, on environmental grounds, there's some concern, of, I would say, about this as just sort of a, a policy moving forward. Um, but let's talk right. about the costs uh, associated with it, um, the economic costs. You, there's a couple of studies, I think, that have come out that are talking about jobs lost and things. Um, could you just run through some of the numbers of what people have said, uh, what closing down line five, um, the economic impact? Would be yeah exactly i've i've written several articles on this um most recently on national review online and reason they've uh, published two articles on this but um there's been a pretty broad and diverse coalition uh, from whatever side of the political aisle people might be on <clears throat> because canadian politics is a little bit different i mean there's the conservatives and the liberals and the NDPs, which are the socialists, more like an Ocasio-Cortez kind of mindset. But there have been representatives of really all three perspectives on the Canadian side defending the pipeline. And then in America, there have been you know both sides of the political aisle defending the pipeline. And so a few examples, um, Governor DeWine of Ohio has written a personal letter to Governor Whitmer, uh, about I think it was about a year and a half ago now, and said essentially, look, if you shut this pipeline down, there's going to be um, 1,200 or more union jobs at the Toledo refineries that are just going to disappear. So jobs at Toledo, Toledo's refineries, the, the Marathon Petroleum refinery near Detroit is going to be similarly impacted. The Canadians have said the, the Sarnia-based refineries are going to lose jobs, you know, thousands of jobs. The refineries in Quebec, same thing. There have been business interests like the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce, the Ohio Chamber of Commerce. They've all come and testified uh, to the Michigan Senate uh, Energy Committee and said, exact same thing. We're going to lose thousands of jobs. Uh, there have been labor representatives. The, the unions on both sides of the border have done the same thing. Most recently, there was a, a report that was published by the Consumer Energy Alliance that, that put some specific numbers on it. Like they said that if this uh, pipeline was shut down, then in the four state region of Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Indiana, there was going to be a $20.8 billion loss in economic activity, uh, $8.3 billion reduction in combined gross state product, $2.36 billion in foregone labor earnings, salaries, wages, and benefits, almost 34,000 jobs lost in the four states, and then $265.7 million in lower annual state tax revenues. So to put real numbers on it. That's what Consumer Energy Alliance did. So 20.8 billion in lost economic activity and 34,000 jobs lost in those four states. So a huge impact. Yeah, obviously a huge impact. And, you know, even setting aside sort of the economic costs, it seems like this could 
devolve into kind of a serious geopolitical issue. Um, the right. Canadian government, uh, as you mentioned, there on uh, some of the business groups from Canada, but the Canadian government has kind of gotten involved and they filed an amicus brief in front of the uh, U.S. District Court raising their concerns, obviously. Yes. So, you know, the last that I read about this, there were uh, the Canadian government was saying that they were trying to approach the Biden administration with negotiations at the federal level. Um, do you have any idea where that sort of stands? And Yeah, just in talking with people that are involved in it, from everybody that I've heard from said Biden, the whole Biden administration has been basically hands off. They've just stood back and not commented on this situation at all, which is odd because the Canadian federal government is definitely commenting. Like you said, they've submitted an uh, amicus brief. They have um, the... Canadian Federal Minister of Natural Resources, which is kind of like our Department of Energy or something like that, uh, has said that really shutting down the Line 5 is, is a non-starter. You don't get to do this. The Canadian federal government has threatened to um, resort to a 1977 uh, international treaty that was signed between Canada and the United States that makes it impossible or illegal according to the, the terms in the, the, the contract in the treaty that one state cannot just make an arbitrary or unilateral change in an energy supply in a way that negatively impacts the other one. So they said, look, we're willing to stand up and use this uh, treaty if we need to. So the Canadian federal government has been very involved, but the U.S. government has just kind of stood back and watched everything happen, which is very strange. It's unusual that you would, you you wouldn't expect this. Yeah, and I guess you know the thing that's so frustrating is that it seems like everybody is sort of in agreement that there's huge economic costs associated with this, um, right? And there's a clear path to compromise with the construction of the new line underneath the lake. Yet the governor is moving forward with this just to what to appease environmental <laughs> voters or what you know I'm kind of asking you to speculate a little bit but you know what seems right. to be you know what's motivating her to just sort of run roughshod over all of these groups who are raising concerns over this right and she actually published uh, an op-ed probably about two weeks ago now in the Washington Post that described why she was doing this. And she basically said, look, other pipelines have spilled and we don't want a pipeline spill in the Great Lakes. And so she, you know, tossed off some, uh, you know, like I said, trite phrases like oil and water don't mix. Okay, well, in the, the comparisons that she made were not really realistic because Again, like I told you, this is a specially designed pipeline that's you know probably about double or triple the thickness of the wall of the pipe. Uh, it's undergoing regular stress tests and pressure tests and all of those sorts of things. And then, like you said, Enbridge has already got a plan. And this is it's not it's not like Enbridge just came up with a plan and decided, oh, well, we'll just build a tunnel and everything will be fine. This was a plan that was put together by the state government, uh, as well as Enbridge and overseen by the EPA and other 
government agencies where they did what they called an alternatives report. And so they said, okay, well, what are the alternatives? We can shut the pipeline down. We can leave it the way that it is. We can put the pipeline in kind of a, a trench where so it's in the same area, but we'll just kind of, you know, stack stuff up around it so it's protected. Um, it's mostly covered, but it's still in the waters of the Great Lake or the last option was to build this tunnel. Everybody agreed, the best alternative is build the tunnel. Enbridge said, okay, we'll do that and we'll pay for it. And then at the end of it, we will cede ownership of the tunnel back to the state and the state will manage it uh, in the same way that they manage the uh, Mackinac Bridge. Um, so they have a bridge authority, they were going to have a tunnel authority, which is basically a commission, a government appointed commission that oversees the tunnel and manages it. And everybody agreed, this is the best alternative. They passed the laws, the, the legislature passed it, the governor signed off on it, and everything seemed to be ready to go. And pretty much on day one, when Governor Whitmer came in, then she started to litigate and said, okay, well, this, this law wasn't constitutional. And so we just went into that kind of, you know, the, the, the spin, spin cycle that we've been in for a few years now. So it's interesting because it is sort of an example of a broader set of policies by progressive politicians here in the U.S. that are targeting pipeline um, infrastructure. It's sort of frustrating, I guess, that, you know, there's legitimate environmental concerns involved here. No one's doubting that at all. Um, but the commitment to environment with complete disregard for any other impacts and stuff, I, I, I guess it, it just seems like just very sh short-sighted in my opinion. And right. uh, it, in this case, like we said, you know, there's an easy path to uh, to a reconciliation. Um, what else should people be paying attention to with this going forward, I guess? I know it, it's sort of in legal limbo right now where they're trying to figure out the jurisdic right. jurisdictional issues. Um, what should people be paying attention to going forward? And then is there anything that we haven't touched on with this that uh, you think is important? Yeah, one thing that slipped my mind in the last response I was uh, giving is you were asking about, um, you know, who, what's really motivating this? And um, one thing that I was going to say is, you know, you can almost understand the governor, um, you know, really sticking to her guns. If this was some kind of like, you know, extreme partisan hit job that, you know, well, it's just one side of the aisle is against the other side of the aisle. And then we could just, you know, that's, that's the way things always work nowadays is sure. it's just the right versus the left. But the reality is, like I said, not only have we had business interests and um, uh, government uh, agents from both sides of the line, from all different political perspectives, even in Michigan, we've had um, Democrats in the House uh, at the state level pass a resolution in September last year. And so the Republicans voted in favor of the sorry, resolution. And then 23 out of 51 Democrats also voted in favor of the resolution. And that resolution said that the state government should get out of the way and make sure that the permits for the tunnel are permitted as, as, as quickly as possible. This whole permitting process should just get done and so that Enbridge can build the the or the tunnel, sorry, and 
So it's, it's clearly not just like some kind of partisan hit job because the bipartisan weight is really in favor of building the tunnel as quickly as possible and making sure that you get the pipeline out of the lakes, you maintain the energy infrastructure, really doing that is a win-win because like when you start looking at what was going to happen with this tunnel being built, Enbridge had committed to hiring all Michigan workers and was gonna, as far as like progressives are concerned, was going to target hiring union workers, the building trades. So a lot of the building trades are saying to Governor Whitmer and Attorney General Nessel, look, what are you doing? These are important jobs like that our members could be working on and good paying jobs too. Like a lot of these jobs are, you know, 75, $80,000 a year. It's, it's really career quality employment. And so you've got all of this going on. It's not like it's not a bipartisan thing. So in response to some of these votes in the house, there was actually a previous house rep who was, um, who literally set up a labor caucus because he said that based on some of the, the votes that he saw in the legislature, he said that the Democrats in Michigan, a lot of them were voting more of like a Sierra Club checklist than they were in favor of worker uh, health and benefits and all those sorts of things. And so, like I said, 23 out of 51 House Democrats voted in favor of the pipeline. Get this done and let's get a move on and get this thing built. So, you know, when you have House Democrats voting in favor of those kind of resolutions and setting up labor caucuses because they're worried that the Democrats are no longer interested in blue collar union workers, they're more interested in Sierra Club checklists. That says a fair bit about what's going on, at least on this issue in the House for the Democrat Party. Yeah, certainly it seems to be an example of just sort of the, the symbol of opposing fossil fuel infrastructure taking priority over right. everything else, which, like you said, is kind of highlighting the there seems to be a growing divide between sort of the labor and the green and environmental. Right, the of, blue green yeah. divide. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Unless you have anything else on this, I think that's a good place to leave it. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, getting this uh, tunnel is the best option. Everybody agreed it's the best alternative. We protect the waters of the Great Lakes and we maintain this essential energy infrastructure. It should be a no-brainer, but yet we're still in this situation where we're watching the governor and the attorney general push to stop the, the, the policy that makes the most sense. It'll certainly be something that we pay attention to going forward. And uh, I'll be sure to add uh, your National Review and Reason articles to the show notes so that um, our listeners can do a little bit of a deeper dive into this topic and uh, some of the other things that you've, ri you've written on recently. So, Perfect. Yeah, and there's lots more on our website too. So Mackinac.org. So. Great. My guest today has been Jason Hayes of the Mackinac Center. Jason, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Glad to be on.